In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Maybe you've had the experience of feeling like you should say to someone, how can I ever repay you? How can I ever thank you for what you've done? How can I show you how much I appreciate the gift that you have given me? There is something very good about feeling that overwhelming sense of gratitude, recognizing that there is nothing you could do either to repay or adequately to show how much you are thankful for what you've received. But there is also something sort of built into our sinful human nature that you should pay attention to in these kinds of sentiments. It is very easy for us to take gratitude, thankfulness, and to turn it back towards ourselves. So when we find that we cannot adequately say thank you for something, we begin to feel a little bit guilty. Oh, I wish there was some way I could make it up to this person for what they've done for me. Oh, I wish that I could let them know because I want to feel like they know how much I am thankful. So easy for it to turn inwardly, for it to turn back on us, for us to think about gratitude in terms of what we are doing, what we are giving, what we are saying, what we are feeling, and forgetting that gratitude comes simply on account of the generosity of another. That is what Thanksgiving really should be about. And it's not just one holiday a year, but it is a life that we live as Christians, a life of thanksgiving. Not trying to muster up feelings of thankfulness. There is some good in going through the exercise of listing the things that you're thankful for. There is some good in that. But it is more important to recognize this, that thankfulness naturally arises from recognizing generosity. Thankfulness occurs naturally, quite without any impulse. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to try to do it, to be thankful when somebody is generous to you. And that is what church is all about. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's about marveling, simply marveling at God's generosity towards us. Thinking occasionally, of course, from time to time, how could I ever repay him? How could I possibly thank him? And then stopping there, because of course you can't. And so instead we turn our eyes back to God. And we marvel at his generosity. Now in the Old Testament lesson that you heard from Deuteronomy, there were some instructions given to the people of Israel. When they inherited the land that God was giving to them, they were supposed to bring the first fruits in a basket to the priest. And they were supposed to make this declaration about how God had brought them out of Egypt. He had rescued his people from under the hand of Pharaoh. And now they were in the place flowing with milk and honey that God had so long prepared for them. And they were bringing this offering, this first fruits, the best of the produce of their land. They were bringing that as a sign of their gratitude. There's two things I want to pay close attention to when we think about these first fruits. In the first place, what does it really mean? What is God really asking for when he asks for their first fruits? It is perhaps less obvious to us in this day and age because Although in this community, it is perhaps more obvious. With the number of farmers we have in this crowd, it makes much more sense that the first fruits you come in, first fruits that you bring in, are often the best. When you have cattle, for instance, when you have livestock, you want to preserve for yourself the best and the strongest because that guarantees your future. Those are the ones that are going to make your herd grow and produce more. When you harvest your produce from the garden, You think about which ones are best, which ones are biggest, which ones you could save the seeds from for next year, which ones are going to produce the most in the long run. You think about all of those things because that is how we are oriented as human beings. 
paying attention to what is best and what is first. What God is asking for is all of those things. Of the lambs that are born to your flock, he's asking for the best and the strongest, the ones that are free from every blemish. Of the crops that come from your field, he's asking for the first, the ones that have been untouched by any rain, that are not too dry. He's asking for the ones that you would gladly keep for yourself. In today's terms, it is much more like thinking about your paycheck. Your paycheck which comes in and instead of giving after you have set aside for retirement and saved 20% for the future and paid all of your bills and paid your mortgage and paid your taxes or whatever it might be and then setting some aside for God, God is asking for something off of the top. The first things that come in. The things that you think you can't do without. Those things are the things that God is asking for from his people Israel. I want you to see that simply so that you can see how stark this is, how startling it is. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to think about giving away our very best. There are lots of things we are glad to give away, and it's often because they are not our best. They're the things we're tired of. They're the things we're done with. They're the things we think we don't need anymore. Those are the things we're glad to part with. God is asking for the first and the best. Now that raises an important question. Why? Why does God ask for the first and the best from his people? The first thing to get out of the way is the idea that God somehow needs our gifts. I want to read to you from Psalm 50. God takes his people to task in Psalm 50 because they are offering sacrifices to him that he finds detestable. This is what he says. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, God says, I would not tell you. For the world and all its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls? Or do I drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Why does God ask the people to bring their first fruits in a basket? Why does he offer his people to make sacrifices? Why does he ask them to make sacrifices at all? Why does he ask you to make the sacrifices that he has asked of you? Not because he needs it. Not because he is hungry or lacking anything. Not because you have something that you could withhold from him. He could take it if he needed it. Why does God ask for it? Now this is an important thing to think about just throughout the course of our lives as Christians because there are lots of things that we offer to God or at least we think of ourselves as offering to God. Starting with your offerings that you put in the basket at church to your prayers that you pray, to the worship, the praises that you sing to God, to your obedience, to his commandments, and even faith. It's very easy to think about all of those things as things that we are offering to God. And there is some sense in that. Yes, when we obey God's commands, when we trust in him, we are offering ourselves as sacrifices to God. But why? Again, not because he needs it. God invites us to offer sacrifices. He invited his people to bring the first fruits for their sake, for our sake, and not for his. He asks us 
to make sacrifices because we need it and not because he does. But we need it in this way. We need it because we need every possible occasion to rejoice in God's gifts. Notice that Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. And it's easy to hear that passage and to think, okay, what God's asking of me is that when I grudgingly put my offering in the basket or when I grudgingly give alms to somebody who's poor, I've got to put a smile on my face. That's what it means to be a cheerful giver. I've got to, you know, eke out a smile, and that's what cheerfulness looks like. That's not what he means at all. It's not about pretending. It's not about something that necessarily anybody else could see. God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver is rejoicing in the gifts that he has received from God. He is rejoicing with this joy that comes from the knowledge, the confidence, that you have everything you need and more. It's joy that comes from the certainty that God, who has given you everything you have, will continue to provide all your needs. Contrast that with somebody who gives in a grumbling way, somebody who is not thankful because they're holding on to every last bit because they're not sure whether they're going to have enough, whether the one who is providing for them, for them is going to hold out in the end. Compare the joy of the one who knows that they have more than enough to the ingratitude and uncertainty of the one who is unsure about the future. It's like the difference between, you know, when you, when you have the fresh tube of toothpaste. This is a silly example. Bear with me. You have a fresh tube of toothpaste, and so you're not, you know, you squeeze out more toothpaste when you're a kid, especially. More toothpaste than you need, because there's plenty in the tube. You're not worried about it. I got all the toothpaste I could ever need. The tube is full. I'm not worried about having enough tomorrow. Compare that with long after you should have bought a new tube of toothpaste. There it is. You've crinkled it all up, and you're trying to squeeze the last little bit out, and you're going to be sparing, because you're not going to go to the store before tomorrow. You're trying to get every last little bit out of it. The difference between these two things is like night and day. On the one hand, having an abundance, and so being free, free to be generous, free to give thanks, free to give back, free to do anything because you have more than enough. Compare that with the feeling, the sense that you have too little, not enough, that you're never going to make it. That is the difference between one who could give cheerfully and one who could not. Now, you might look at your life, and you might see in your life at various times a change where there was a time when you felt like you did not have enough and there were times when you felt like you had plenty. And you can see that in the course of your life. But the point is not for you to use your eyes to discern how much you have. But it is for you to use your ears to listen to the one who gives you everything you have. The one who gives you everything you have is generous beyond measure. And when you feel like you have too little, you do not. Because you have a God who provides everything for you. When you feel like you have an abundance, you have it because God has given it to you. In times of abundance and times of scarcity, God is the same. He is the same generous God who causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. The one who waters the earth quite apart from our deserving it. Who gives us our daily bread even when we don't deserve it to all wicked people. His generosity is the constant. His generosity is what can give us a cheerful heart. His generosity is what can make us look at times of scarcity and still rejoice because we know for sure, without a shadow of doubt, that the Lord loves us and will keep us and will provide for us. We teach our kids to say please and thank you, and it's an important job to do because kids, by nature, assume that things just sort of appear out of thin air. <laughs> there they are. There it is. 
And that we all started out that way, just assuming that things are there. Not recognizing the connection between a gift and its giver. That the gift didn't come to you from nowhere, but that it came from someone. And that the value of the gift really is bound up in the generosity of the one who gave it to you. And that your hope for the future is only in this, in the ongoing generosity of someone who is going to continue to give to you. And you might think that this is easiest to consider. This is easiest to think about in a really kind of a spiritual way. Oh, I've got lots of sins, and God is generous in forgiving all of my sins. Where sin abounds, there grace is more abundant. But we celebrate Thanksgiving. We celebrate harvest festivals. We pay attention to the things that we have and what we do with our possessions, our material stuff. We pay attention to what we do with our money because when we think about our money and our stuff and the things that we have for our daily lives is a recognition of how God is generous. And if we recognize God's generosity in giving us all of the things that are before our eyes, then of course we can also recognize his generosity in showing us mercy. If, on the other hand, we fail to recognize God's generosity in everything that we have, day in and day out, how can we possibly see God's generosity in forgiving our sins, in giving us his righteousness, in showing us mercy, and promising us a future where there is no scarcity, where there is no lack? So the task for you today and every day as you think about Thanksgiving, the task for you as Christians is to take your eyes off of yourself and your own efforts to be thankful, or your own sense about what you have, whether it is much or little, your task is to take your eyes off of yourself and to cast them on God, to look at Him, and to see in Him generosity, mercy, grace, that are far greater than you could ever have asked for or hoped for. To look to Him and see a God who is not just out there somewhere monitoring the universe, hoping that everything works out okay and not really concerned, but a God who is intimately concerned with your life, numbering the hairs on your head, knowing you by name, knowing the thoughts of your hearts better than you know them yourselves. He is the one who gives every good thing to you. He's given you His own name so that you can call on Him in prayer. He's given you this divine service the divine service every Sunday, so that you can be served by him in forgiveness and blessing. He gives you your daily bread so that you can prosper and love your neighbors. He gives you his commandments so that you can know what is good. He gives you faith. He gives you faith. You don't work up faith on your own. He gives it to you so that you can trust in him. All that God asks of us, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. All that he asks of us is this. Here again, these words from Psalm 50. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. How do you do that? How do you offer sacrifices of thanksgiving? You call upon him in the day of trouble. You expect goodness from God. That is what he desires from you. That you expect him to be good. That you hold him to his promises, that you look to him for every good thing, that you don't look anywhere else, least of all to yourself, but that you put your trust in God. There's another psalm that goes with this day that the church celebrates, and I want to just close with these words. It's a beautiful psalm, a psalm of praise. Listen to what David says about our gracious God. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. 
When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let us also shout and sing together for joy, for our God is good. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.